Welcome to the Yorkshire Leaders podcast, where we get inspired by the stories, successes and failures of the local leaders of today. And importantly, we hope to help inspire the leaders of tomorrow. I'm Rachel Clark, a marketing director and lifelong learner who's on a mission to learn from the leaders across our region and to share their stories to help inspire us all to take on new challenges and grow from them. Now, today's Yorkshire leader is an entrepreneur with an impressive career in his industry. I'm pretty sure many of you will have a close and emotional connection to the products he specializes in. He's been busy growing his fourth generation family business, now with a team of about 60 people for 35 years. So from Hull to Champagne via Bordeaux, please welcome Mr. John Townsend. John, how are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Well, I'm very well, thanks. Welcome to the podcast and thanks for being here. No, no problem at all. So, John, I just did a little bit of an intro, but I'd love you to tell us a little bit more of, about the business that you're in and uh, and about House of Townend. I'm fourth generation, <clears throat> so the business was set up by my grandfather, great-grandfather, back in 1906. My grandfather Charles took it on, then my father, and then I came into the business back in 1988. It's quite a different business today than it was when I came in, but I think that's the case with all multi-generational businesses. They'd have to change because if they don't change, they die. So yeah, we've had a lot of developments over the, over the years. It's been a lot of fun and we've had a lot of difficulties, but it was forever thus, I guess. That is amazing. So I didn't know it was a fourth generation business until until I started researching it. But um, to start in 1906 and be going in 2023 and thriving is just such an achievement for, for you and your ancestors. And I'm sure that, like you say, there's been lots of ups and downs along the way. So mm. what does House of Townend do now? The focus of our business now is very much the supply of wines and spirits to the hotel and restaurant trade. Primarily in the north of England, although we do we do go all over the country and we trade from two bases, our HQ, which is in Melton, East Yorkshire, and um, also Lakeland Vintners, which is our business in the lakes, which is actually where I am here today. Oh, how lovely. It's a great day to be in the lakes as well. It's not yeah, actually it's raining today, I'm guessing. No, it's very sunny. It's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just don't even know where to start. There's so many places we could go with wine and spirits. But um, I know that you actually spent some time in France a mm. while ago, you know, to, to learn the craft and to learn the language. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, my father, historically, a lot of wine was shipped um, from France. It, st it still is. And um, my father, although he did a-level French. He, he he couldn't really understand. He, he could speak a few words, but as soon as they started speaking, then, you know, in a later years, he'd turn around and say, what are they, what are they saying? Um, and um, he he had this view that if, if I was coming into the business, and as the eldest son, I was coming into the business, that I had to speak French. So from the age of 11, uh, he sent me on French exchanges every summer. And then as soon as I left school, I went and worked in France for a year with various suppliers to learn about wine, but also to, to learn the language so, so that I could actually converse with them, which was, um, it is an important aspect of the business. And after that year, I then, um, I then came back and went to Warwick Business School for three years before coming into the business. That's fantastic. And I mean, having done French myself as well at uni, which is now terrible because I know that if you're not practicing, you're losing words every day. 
but um, those French exchanges can be slightly traumatic sometimes. You know, you're sent away a million miles away from home. You don't speak any of the language and it's, it's absolutely a great way to learn, but it's really quite a challenge when you, you know, especially when you're 11 to go away and, and do that. So it was, I was actually very lucky because I got on very well with the, the French, French boy and the whole family. There were three brothers and I got on very well with them. I went back to the same family for, well, all the way up to the age of 18. Wow, that's um, amazing. So it got a lot easier. Sure, the first first few years was, uh, yeah, it was tough because they didn't <laughs> speak a word of English. Yeah. And it's the only way as well yeah. to kind of mm. immerse yourself. That's great. And so I'm guessing you still speak French with your suppliers. How does that yeah yeah I mean look I'm not I'm not bilingual or anything but um, I have to go to France uh, several times several times a year quite a lot of the producers we deal with are very small they're artisan producers and likes of Burgundy in the Rhone Valley you know they don't speak uh, English so if 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 you can't converse with them then you know it makes it makes it difficult yeah, yeah. difficult to trade if you can't converse do you know what what, what I find with when, when you try and speak someone's language they not only they're very forgiving but you actually get it works you get more you know and if there's a if we're putting together one of our house wines and it's not a great year and you instinctively think yeah we need to we need we need to boost the merlot content in this wine to get it up to a, a nice a nice fruity open lush sort of wine it's going to cost more but you can twist their arms and they're they're, 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 they're much more giving if you're if you make an effort and wine making i mean in france it's such a emotive part of their heritage mm. and you know the people that are making the wine are so passionate about it well it's a labor of love i mean you know the making of wine it's all year round you know if you've if if you've spent the cold months of you know january february pruning in the vineyard with your your fingers literally freezing you realize it's an agricultural product of wine it's a tough life and a lot goes into it and, and so much knowledge as well. Like you say, your family business has been going for four generations. I'm sure some of those wine, you know, makers have been going for equally as long, if not longer. With yeah, we we deal with, with winemakers um, and, and suppliers who who my father um, dealt with um, in his um, in his youth, in his early years in the business. So we, you know, I, I'm dealing with with winemakers now who my father dealt with his father um it it does it does carry on yeah it's, it's a great industry obviously we mentioned you know from hull to champagne i was quite pleased with that little intro mm. but uh, so you champagne was fun yeah yeah i bet so you've got offices in in hull and then also you mentioned that you're in the lakes today and then you're supplying wine all over the the north to hotels and restaurants and yes hotels restaurants caterers pub restaurants as i say mostly in the north of england but we do go we do go all over the uk and then i would say about that accounts for about 80 percent of our business and then 10 percent of our business is what we would call agency where we're supplying wines that we ship into the uk to smaller wine merchants and then the other 10 percent is our website which is houseoftowner.com which does that's grown um, very well over the last few years helps during the covid years of course and also mm. our cellar door which we have at our hq in melton yeah and that's that's how the business is made up Fantastic. I've heard about the Melton place. So that's mm. on the, just off the A63 on the way to Hull, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. And apparently for our listeners, if you're going that way, but um, apparently it's just the most incredible facility and, and you know, 
Got well, so we bring all, all our stock is shipped to our bonded warehouse. It is bonded warehouse. Um, so yeah, just it, explain it, what that is to me, because I'm, okay, so I'm um, uh, when when we say a bonded warehouse, when wines are shipped into the UK, they are shipped under bond, so they're shipped duty free, and then before they can be sold to the consumer or to a restaurant, we need to pay the excise duty, uh, and that's a that's a big percentage of the, certainly an everyday wine. And only, uh, was it last week, the duty was increased by the government by between 20 and 40%. It's a wow. big increase in alcohol tax last week. That's so true. having our own bonded warehouse is um, is really, really important from a cash flow point of view. What it means is that all the wines that we ship into the UK, they come to us straight away. They don't go to a third party bonded warehouse. So we always have everything on site. Um, so the availability that we have um, in the cellar door is fantastic because um, if it's not in the sh in the shop, it's in the warehouse and we can quickly pay the duty and it's available. And I'm sure lots of people listening to this, because there will be lots of very keen <laughs> wine drinkers, will be thinking, great, you know, can can people just turn up and... and yeah, yeah, yeah it's know, to the public, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Purchase there. Yeah, it's a busy little place, so uh, come down. Excellent. We've always got some wines on tasting. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's good. Obviously, you talked about being the, the eldest son, so it was like mm. you were going to go into the business and... And you were going to speak French and become a, obviously a wine expert. So, so how did you, you know, with the tasting of wine and how does that kind of all get taught? Is it just experience? Do you have to do, you know, some well, yes, it is. Um, I think we were saying earlier, uh, repetition, um, practice, they're the mother yeah. and father of skill. Aren't I'll they? just um, talk a little bit about that because we were, we were recording them, but um, for our listeners, the reason John and I know each other is actually because we were in a band together. And I was asking John if he still plays guitar. And we were talking about the, the need for um, repetition and practice and all the good stuff. So obviously that's the same with wine. Well, it is. Um, but, you know, there is also the theory there's, that, that you need to learn. There's, there is so much to learn about wine, all the wine producing countries throughout the world. So there is a programme of... Um, examinations, the Wine and Spirits Education Trust, which goes all the way up to Master of Wine. And so you can go through the process of all those examinations, learning along the way. But there's nothing better than practical experience. And, you know, when you get to my age, if, if you're not reasonably good at what you do, then um, you should have got another job. You know, <laughs> That's as true. I say. After 35 years doing it. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, I've told you this before, but when I started out in um, PR and marketing in London, I was working for a big agency and, and Remy Martin Cognac was one of their clients. And that was mm. one of my clients, my first ever clients, a, a total lightweight anyway, but I just, I, I'm not a fan of Cognac. Obviously I'm a Luddite, but um, it was, you know, a, a fascinating exploration of, you know, tasting, food, food matching. Um, yeah. That's a fascinating, uh, the drinks industry is a fascinating industry. It really it, it is. It really is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And like you say, it's everything from geography to weather to, you know, mm. passion of the producers to... Yeah, and, and and the viticultural developments that have had to take place over the last sort of 20 years, 20, 30 years um, with the changing climate. Absolutely. Um, that all has to be taken into account. What sort of things are changing, John, with, with that? You know, what are people saying? You know, obviously we've got some English producers now that are churning out quite good wine. Yeah, I think in, 50, in, in another 40, 50 years' time, English producers, I mean, they're producing some great stuff already, uh, particularly sparkling wine. 
um, the sparkling wine that's produced in the, in the south of England. You know, there's some there's some fantastic fantastic sparkling wine produced. But it's it's difficult. What they're what they're finding is that temperatures winter w- winter temperatures tend to be warmer, and so the vines the vines are coming alive much earlier. One of the big problems that they've had in recent years, particularly in places like Burgundy, where the vines have woken up, and then all of a sudden there's a spring frost. Oh my goodness! And yeah. you know that that has caused havoc. And you know that is that is that is difficult. And also the heat in the summer can be um, a, a big problem. But mm-hmm. canopy man- management of the vine, the, the whole way vineyards are managed now compared to thirty years has, has has changed and has had to. But quality has never been better. And I guess it's the same with any industry as well. Things change, don't they? Even with agriculture itself, it's changed massively and got. Well, if you don't AI change, yeah, I mean, if you don't change, you, you, you know, you get left behind or you, yeah. you die, don't you? Um, well, it's, you, you, you have to, you know, you're continually changing. Um, and John, what kind of leader would you say that you are? Obviously, you've got a big team doing lots of incredible work. What would <sighs> they say about you? <laughs> <laughs> I hate to think, I hate to think. I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not somebody, um, I, I always think that, if if people put their feet on the floor in the morning and they're looking forward to to work and they enjoy their work, yeah, they that's that's a good situation. So I think um, creating an environment where people enjoy what they do, they will perform well. You know, fear is not doesn't doesn't do anybody any good. That's um, so true. People are their own biggest critics. Good people, they are their own biggest critics. You don't need to say a lot. I'm not um, a hard taskmaster and what have you. Am I collaborative? Yeah. As I say, create the right environment and good people will perform. And also having worked in, you know, some places where there is a big fear culture, like you say, it's just counterintuitive. You know, yeah, I think against... the benefit that we have, we, we are a small business. We have a very flat structure. Everybody knows each other. My finance director once said, great thing about here is there's no politics. He'd experienced working in much bigger companies and you know there is politics there and it's that can be quite damaging there's no hiding places and that's yeah, that's so quite true. important as well because um you know if, if there are places for people to hide um that creates that creates a bit of tension as well i think certainly now with technology and with we've got so much communication haven't we everything just happens a lot faster i always think with yeah things i'm can go um, wrong and you can deal with it faster than I'm probably a bit old-fashioned in that I'm 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 not very pro working from home. <laughs> well, that's no, I've heard this before. <laughs> so uh, that's one that's one thing that I have uh, I've I've not entertained. Well, I entertained it once, and I was proved right. No, pe- people are better working together. I think certainly with the products and and the fact that you're so customer facing as well. You're learning, yeah, yeah. I think when you're in an office, you're learning and collaborating with. You're learning from what other people are up to. You're learning from what's going on. You can have a chat. You know, it's, yeah, it is I mean, Zoom, Zoom has its place, doesn't it? I mean, it absolutely like does. Today. It, 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 yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it really does. But um, yeah. in terms of the general running of the business, you know, we don't have a situation where people can work two days yeah. um, from home. No, no, we, we, we want everybody together in the office. I did see um, a meme the other day that Zoom, you know, the platform that's encouraged everyone to work from home, 
has got a huge office and it wants everyone back in the office. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there we go. You know, there's some very successful people, people I do admire, a lot of people I know who've run their own family businesses and done very well. You know what they go through. So yeah, I, I admire them. But any one particular leader, no, because if there's a successful leader, he's got a great team around him. He or she. <laughs> Sorry. <But> definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he yeah. or she. Yeah, that's so true. And that's something I'm learning more of through the podcast is the people I'm interviewing often say, you know, you're not going anywhere without a great team. And that's I mean, the key. it's, it, it's, it's not rocket science. It mm. really isn't rocket science. You know, you, you, and that's the thing with a family business. I remember, I can't remember who it was that said to me when I was very young, they said, I wish I knew who it was, but they said, John, just remember you're there. Let's be honest, because you were born into the business. So always make sure you have really good people around you. You're there and you're there for life. So yeah. make sure you get really good people around you. And it was yeah, really good yeah. advice. You it's suddenly realise that's quite a responsibility coming into a family business. You can't do it yourself. Right. We talked earlier about practice and repetition and having to fail before you get growth, if you like. And obviously mm. you went through those experiences of being with the French family and obviously having no clue at, at the start when you were 11 and then growing so that you could understand and, and mm. going through that process. But I was just kind of wondering if you could think of any failures that have actually created a success in the business where something's gone wrong and it's made you change something uh, failures i guess we've all we've all had them and we my biggest failure was i came into the business and the business was very much off licenses wine shops and it was at a time that supermarkets were taking that trade so the off license sector was really struggling in fact the likes of names like threshers uh, victoria wine unwins seller five uh, they all went bust, odd bins, no, all, all went bust. I know, I, I realized that we had to change our business and change it very quickly because it was, it was dying. It was losing money. It was, it was a difficult time. My father was in parliament, so he wasn't in the business. Um, wow. We'd had a court case, which I, I could do a podcast on that probably. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> with, with the production of um, Avocar back in the 70s. Wow. The court case went all the way to the House of Lords and we lost. Um, so the business was in a in a difficult position. It was fortunate that it had a good capital base and we knew what we were doing in terms of wine importing, but we had to change the business. And it was at a time when people were starting to eat out more. The restaurant sector was growing. So that was an obvious move because we had the right products and we, we gradually started growing that business and it was doing, it was doing well, but it wasn't sufficient to carry the business on its own. But then it was, we were left with 12, 15 off licenses, which were losing money. I should have closed them and sold them sooner. And I didn't, I did everything I could to try and make them work, but failed. And eventually we started to sell them one by one. We sold a block. And as soon as we sold the final block of shops, the business the remaining business was in a really good position. And I just wished I'd done it sooner. I wished I'd done it sooner, but it was the business that I'd taken over. And it just I just felt I had to keep trying. Where Absolutely. actually the best thing to have done would have been saying, no, that, let's cut our losses and move on. That's a hard thing to do sometimes, isn't it? When you've got a legacy, mm. especially with a family business as well, it's very emotive. You know, people have taken decisions based on the market at that time. And I remember at 2005, there was the shop which my great-grandfather bought when he started the business down Beverly Road. And he was losing a lot of money. And I said to my father, I said, look, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to have to close it. And I was waiting for him to say, really, do you have to? And he just said, well, your great-grandfather would be 
wouldn't be very happy with you if the reason that you kept it open was that the next year 2006 was our centenary so we closed it that was almost like a freedom piece of advice from your father wasn't it kind of you know, yeah i think it was bad yeah do what you need to do. Do, do you know at the end of the day it's not about the past it's about the future mm. of the business and you just mentioned you, your father was in parliament was he i, I don't know the backstory. Yeah, he was a member of parliament um, 1979 to 2001. Yeah, he was definitely a man of opinions, of, of beliefs, which nowadays I wish more of them had. The court case that I mentioned earlier, um, that uh, happened in 70, I think it was 78, 79. Finally, um, we lost in the Lords, I think in 1982. And oh, he, he, he was really upset about it because it was, it was, a, it was a bit of a knife edge case. And as, as I say, I could tell you so many things about that um, that you find That's out an later. To yeah, go through uh, as a family, even. Just... It, well, it was because yeah. um, we, at the time we were, um, he was personally liable, so we could have lost the business. Um, he fell out of love with the business. He, he was bitterly disappointed, and also he had his career in um, in London. Mm. Um, so, so the business sort of st st stumbled on for the next the next few years, but and luckily, he, he stayed there till two thousand and one. And luckily, you were there to take it on as well. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did because I didn't want to come back to the business to start with. I wanted to go to London as any young person would and get some experience. I should have done. Um, Do you but think? He's, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But he said, look, you either come back now or I'm going to sell the business. Wow. And he was, uh, I think he was serious. He, yeah, he said, sure. you know, the business isn't in a great state. You're going to have to come back, learn the business um, mm. to carry it on. Um, I mean, what an amazing opportunity, though. Obviously, you always think, oh, I should have done that. But actually looking at it from an outsider's point of view, it's a great opportunity to do it. And then actually there's no place like learning, especially when it was not going so well. The thing is, whatever happens to you that you didn't want to happen, you try and correct that for, uh, with, with, with your own kids. Um, I remember my father-in-law once saying to me, he said, the thing is, John, he said, you always remember the things that your parents did badly. You tend to forget things that they did well. So the things good, that they did badly, you do well. And the things that um, they did well, you do badly. I thought, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, my, my daughter wanted to, um, she spent time in France and Spain, in fact, and then she went to university and she wanted to come back to the business. And I, I, I went the other way. I said, no, 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 go and get some experience elsewhere. So she did go to London and she's been there for the last four or five years in the wine trade and she's building her own career. If you could, be, well, talking around that, if you could give your 21-year-old self some advice, what would you say to him? What advice would I give anybody? Um, well, exactly. I was thinking, what advice would you give yourself? Business advice. Yeah, career As... advice. Try and enjoy yourself. I mean, TikTok, it really does go quickly, doesn't it? I don't feel any different to when I was 25, but I know I am. So I would say, enjoy yourself. But at the same time, I would say, have a plan. What do you really want to do? And it's what you want to do, which is important. Because if you do something you want to do, you'll do it well. And you'll, and you'll, hopefully end up doing it very very well um, so that. find find something that you enjoy and have a plan don't waste time great advice what sort of well this is an interesting one what healthy or unhealthy habits do you have okay could I'll, be start, physical, mental, I'll, st whatever. I'll start off with a healthy <laughs> habit i have a glass of wine with my meal every night and we've got to remember alcohol is a drug we should never forget that yeah absolutely. Um, but at the same time if you use it responsibly, it's a fantastic part of life. But the interesting one is in southwest France. Where they call it the French paradox because I think mm. the the average age of um, death for a man is something like 90 in southwest France. It's the highest in France. And 
there was a big question how can this be because they eat so much fat you know a lot of yeah, duck cheese, and what have you um, cheese duck sausage but research was done into the local wine madaran and they found that actually the tanak grape um, the grape that's used in the production of madaran actually has components which um, which are actually positively good for your health and it's, it's about a balanced diet they eat a very balanced diet uh, down there and that's proof that um, they're very healthy people yeah i've read i've read about the french paradox several several times and mm. um and it's kind of that being active in, into old age as well isn't it and absolutely yeah a community it's, as well those, absolutely those it's all it's all part of it. it it's balance isn't it it's balance yeah. it's equilibrium yeah. so important i mean i must ask have you got a, um this is a tricky one for someone that's doing what you do but have you got a favorite region or a favorite place that you go and visit no, I think I would say um, when it comes to wine, be promiscuous. You know, there's um, there's so yes. many fantastic wine producing regions around the world. I mean, wine is, there's so many different wines which match the local cuisine. I enjoy going to all of them, really. Wow. Difficult. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's an impossible question. It, it's, because, it's an impossible one, say, one to answer because I breath. don't drink the same thing every night. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I'll drink some, uh, I always like to drink something different. So, no, I don't have any, any favourites at all. Yeah, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like naming your favourite child. Exactly. You know, <laughs> you, if you're with a winemaker, the worst thing to do is to ask him which one, you know, if he produces seven or eight different wines from different, different small vineyards and you say to him, you know, which one do you prefer? He'll, he or she will look at you as if to say, you know, you're asking me to choose from my kids. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> We sort of talked a bit about how you like to lead in the business and, and having a great team. Mm. Are there any sort of values that have been passed down through the generations, would you say, that you like to make sure you're living or make sure you're leading with? I think be honest with people. You know, if you're honest with people, pe people will, you know, they love to be praised. But, you know, if, if something hasn't worked out or someone has done something which, you know, could have done it better, just if you're honest with them, then they will, they will take it on board. But treat them all with respect. It doesn't matter who they are, whether they're picking orders in the warehouse, delivering them, you know, selling the wine, you're working in the administrative part of the business. You know, they're all part of a team. And they all need each other as well. It's like you can't it, do one without the next. Without no, the you next can't. You can't. System. And um, and you've, you've, you've got to get on and work uh, work together. And if you have a, it's like sport. I mean, you like a lot of people. I love sport. You know, I, I love it when teams that are not necessarily, they shouldn't necessarily win. They're playing someone, a team which is better and they win and, and you think, yeah, and they've done it through teamwork. Okay, so individually, they may not have been as skillful as the, the their opponents, but as a team, they perform better. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. As a fellow sport lover as well. And sometimes you can't quite put your finger on what the magic is, but for some reason, the team is working together. Yeah, it's often stability is a good thing. I mean, I always find it incredible in football, the way they change the managers all the time. And they don't stand a chance, do they? It's just yeah. teams. Look at Alex which... Ferguson. It took him years, didn't it? To... Well, exactly. And you can pick out a number of examples where the manager's been with a team for a long period of time and he creates a culture that people buy into, are comfortable with, and they know exactly what everybody else is doing and thinking. And you know what? They end up being successful. And you think, why don't more teams do it? Yeah. That's a whole other podcast is, is the, the parallels between sport and business. Yeah, I read a very good book called The Edge. Oh, and okay. it was about how, how you... Not the U2 no. frontman. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no it was, or was it called Edge? It was just called Edge. And it was how, how you can transmit training practices and philosoph philosophies in football into business and it was it was 
Yeah, it was really interesting. So I think how you manage a team in sport is probably not that different to how you manage a team in business because you have a lot of different characters. But They're capable of brilliant things. So I don't know if I mentioned this, but I used to work at Red Bull in London yeah. doing marketing. And it was a time when they were doing a lot of uh, work with extreme sports, you know, snowboarders, all the, all the crazy things that you see on the content that Red Bull gets involved with. But they were also doing a lot with cricket and Freddie Flintoff was one of their ambassadors. So it was great. So I used to see, mm -hmm. you know, random sports stars all the time in the office, which was brilliant. But they also got their sports psychologists involved in the business. So they would come in to, you know, educators and trainers on what was going on in the sports teams. And I just used to find it fascinating. I'd be all ears to all of that because I think it's so relevant. It is. I think um, a lot of teams have found out isn't they, that they've, over many, many years, decades, they've trained their players um, physically. But it's probably only in the last sort of 10, 10, 15 years that they've realized that actually you have to train them mentally. That's almost the most important, isn't it? Before. Well, it is because. Is it 10,000 hours? Is the, is the argument 10,000 hours of practice and you'll never get any better? So therefore, what's the difference? Mm. And the difference really is mental. Yeah, that's small margin. <laughs> no, I was just going to say small margin. I was watching the Wimbledon final. Yes. And I think after, after four sets, was it four sets? They put oh, the number of points it, scored by each player on the screen. And they yeah. won exactly the same amount of points. Just unbelievable. And so, both, for people that aren't massive tennis fans, both the players are incredibly mentally tough. Oh, incredible. incredible. Unbelievable. So difference. it's the, the difference between success and failure at that level is minute. Yeah, but it was a very good final, wasn't it? Inspiring. It was amazing. Yeah, it was Inspiring amazing. Inspiring match. So if you had just one message to leave listeners with, what would you leave them with? If you had a billboard and you could put something on it, what would it what would it say? It's not a dress rehearsal. Just don't waste time. You're not here for long, so don't waste time. Would you anyway. say that people waste time worrying or? Well, my wife would say you all want to talk. Uh, and, 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 I always find we're good at our, our own advice. Yeah, yeah. This is what we'd like to tell ourselves and everyone else. Everybody worries. And actually, it's what does drive you. And I said earlier, you know, people don't, you know, fear doesn't work when you're managing people. People have enough of their own fears and they spend their lives dealing with them. So try and enjoy yourself. Always have a plan, you know, every day. What's the objective for today? I often say that, you know, okay, right, what's the objective today? And at the end of the day, you look back and if you've achieved your objective, then it's a good day. And in business, every time you have a meeting, okay, what's the objective? Are we just going to sit here and waste? Oh, amen to that. Well, I've it's sat true, in too many it? meetings where there isn't an objective or, hmm. you know, and I like to say, I think it's Oprah Winfrey says, uh, every meeting that she goes to, it's, what's the intention for this meeting? What do we want to yeah, do here today? And I'm just what, like, it's so simple. But it's important. Well, because then you're likely to achieve something, aren't you? Yeah. So where can we find out more? I know you mentioned the Melton shop, but if we wanted to go online. Where... Yeah, yeah. Houseoftownend.com is our website, which was so important to us during lockdown. Because when Absolutely. when we locked down, you know, at the time, I think 90% of our business was supplying restaurants and hotels. Yeah. So our, our client base was closed down by government decree. So the only way we could survive really was by pushing our sales to private customers through our website. And, and I'm sure uh, some very happy 
private customers were involved in that because yeah. everyone <laughs> was turning it, to wine. Yeah, and it, it saved us. It really did save us. So it was amazing to see the business change literally overnight. And funnily enough, I both me and my wife had COVID at the time, and, and we had That's it really well. badly. So so we were we were actually off work. And our team literally had to change from supplying restaurants, hotels, to packing individual boxes of what mixed cases for for the private customers and and, and getting them out. It was I don't want to go through it again, but it was an interest that's carried on. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate your time today. I Not think at it's, all. Um, it's been a great great show, and I will uh, look forward to getting it out there and and looking forward to seeing what people's reactions will be, which I'm sure will be highly positive because. Um, there's many wine lovers out there. So thanks so much. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Yeah.